0: On this edition of the program, we update the 2024 race. The campaign undertaker makes a visit, and we speak with Armin Rosen of Tablet about why Israel, the United States, and heck, the entire world didn't take Hamas seriously. It's all coming up. This is made possible by oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Friday, October 13th, 2023. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you from Austin, Texas. And let's wait no longer. Oh, yes, friends, we have... A candidate out of the 2024 race. I told you I was like uh, the, the the spooky chorus of Thriller. I smelled the funk of 20,000 years. This October, I knew that there were going to be some campaigns dying, and we have one that is no longer with us. I read from a tweet by Will Hurd, now former 2024 candidate, When I first entered the Republican presidential primary field in June, I knew I was a dark horse candidate with a path to victory that would contain many obstacles. I'm going to add editorially, understatement. We continue. But as I traveled across the country, I met so many Americans who believed in my campaign's message of unity and common sense. In 14 short weeks, my team and I match the accomplishments of many of the other candidates in the race who had significantly higher name ID and cash advantage I had editorially did you did you really though we continue I'm honored to have the support of the people who made this possible unfortunately it's become clear to me and my team that the time has come to suspend our campaign While I appreciate all the time and energy our supporters have given, it is important to recognize the realities of the political landscape and the need to consolidate our party around one person to defeat both Donald Trump and President Biden. I urge donors, voters of other candidates to unite around an alternative candidate to Trump. Otherwise, we will repeat the same errors in 2016. If the Republican Party nominates Donald Trump or the various personalities jockeying to imitate his divisive, crass behavior, we will lose... I entered this race for a few simple reasons. First, to do what I can do to ensure this experiment called America lasts for another 247 years. I add editorially, thank you for your selfless dedication to America. We continue. Second, Americans deserve better than a rematch from hell between Trump and Biden. Third, not enough people are talking about the real achievable solutions to the generation-defining challenges that are in front of us. Uh, And he's going to list things here. I will note that he took two shots at Donald Trump and Joe Biden before he got to any of these, which include artificial intelligence, our new Cold War with China and the complexity of an ongoing crisis at our southern border. Our nation deserves a leader who can unite us and navigate the complex challenges that we face, particularly when it comes to our national security. I believe Ambassador Nikki Haley is the best person in this race to do it. Ambassador Haley has shown a willingness to articulate a different vision for the country than Donald Trump and has an unmatched grasp on the complexities of our foreign policy. I wholeheartedly endorse Ambassador Haley and look forward to supporting her for the remainder of this race. I think it's very clear that Will Hurd is an example of something that will be a pretty crisp lesson in political science. You can't base a campaign from scratch on the idea of not this guy. It's intellectually empty. And I would say impotent. What you have to do is articulate why you are better. What issues you find most important. So, for example... If Will Hurd, who by all accounts seems like a smart guy, he obviously has the respect of some of the intelligentsia. And when a Politico asked all the candidates to make playlists, I will say that I liked Will Hurd's playlist the most. We probably have a lot in common in terms of music taste. He had a lot of good hip hop. But if you want to be the anti-AI guy, you got to do the yang. You got to say, there's a fourth industrial revolution, and that's why I'm for UBI. Shake up the race by offering something that's different. Whether or not it's achievable, if you want to make a splash, you have to change the conversation based on a solution that you are offering, which of course has to come with a problem that you are pointing out and then looking to solve. The problem can't be not this guy. And that has been the problem with all of the never Trump candidates. Anybody who's based their entire campaign on not Trump is that nestled within that is the conversation of, well, why not? And that became even more acute once Trump wins, because the only thing that voters really care about is winning. So Trump wins. Good for Trump. And then there's still all these never Trump people. Okay. Well, what's the problem? Well, he's mean. He's crass. And he's disorganized. Of those three, disorganized is the only thing that people really care about. Now, what Will Heard is saying, and what Ron DeSantis is saying, what many of the candidates are saying, is that the problem with Trump is. That he's won and one. So, yes, he won. He did the impossible in 2016, but he also lost and he's lost more recently. And you can point to 2022 and say, well, it was Trump backed candidates that lost the suburbs. That means that Trump is no closer to winning back the suburbs that turned the race in 20. But here's the problem as we look at a world in turmoil, As we look at stubborn high inflation, as we look at quite possibly rising gas prices because of where the latest international turmoil is happening, you're seeing good numbers for Trump. Real clear politics average has him up by one. We have a crazy poll that just came out from Emerson. But let me go over a few polls real quick that are outliers, not nationally. But state by state between Trump and Biden, an MRG poll in Michigan, which Biden won, has Trump up by seven. An Emerson poll from Pennsylvania has Trump up by nine. And a Nevada poll from CNN has Biden up by one. Now, This Michigan poll and this Pennsylvania poll are outliers. I am not suggesting that Donald Trump is up by seven and nine in Michigan and Pennsylvania. If that is real. Then the Democrats should think about another candidate today. Because you're not going to win the presidency. As a Democrat, if you are losing Michigan and Pennsylvania especially if you're losing Michigan and Pennsylvania by the kind of margin that Biden should be expecting to lose Ohio. And if you're losing by that margin, you're probably losing Wisconsin as well, and you can pretty much get to bed early. Nevada, similarly, is a state that Biden wants to see a bigger margin of victory as an incumbent than he saw as a challenger in twenty. So if we only look at that, it's hard to make the argument from the GOP side that vote for me, I will do better than Trump against Biden. Because right now, it appears that Biden is doing the worst against Trump. Trump is somebody that voters would like to see in office again. Let's take a look at the most recent national Polls here. We have a morning consult poll that has Biden up one, a Messenger Harris X poll that has Trump up four, two ties with Survey USA and TIPP, and a New York Post poll that has Trump up three. Averaging out the entirety of the last three months of polls, has Trump's real Cl- uh, real Clear Politics average as plus one. Say what you will about. Donald Trump right now, he is electorally stronger than he has been since the beginning of COVID. If you look at polls from a year ago, or sorry, a year before 2020, Biden was up by about the margin that he won by. If that is the case here, And we got a long year between now and then. But the argument that Trump is uniquely suited to lose to Biden, an argument that has been made by Ron DeSantis, an argument that has been made by Joe Biden. Does not look particularly true from this point. And finally, we have one new Rasmussen poll. It has Donald Trump winning a generic general election vote, 53%. So that is another, you know, more than one up. This includes 30% of Democrats and 50% of black Americans who said they were very or somewhat likely to vote for Trump. If you believe that Donald Trump is going to win 50% of black Americans, I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. That's not happening. But there is enough signs to say that Trump is not uniquely suited to lose to Biden. And that's a big problem if you're in the White House. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. If you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com, you can get our bonus episodes. And boy, they are important. You got the full update on where we are right now in our Republican speaker fights. Steve Scalise coming out on top of Jim Jordan. But Steve Scalise has a bunch of people that won't vote for him. So will we see another candidate? Wow. You're going to need to get that $3 status on TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Get two bonus episodes and, you know, there's going to be another huge Sunday episode. Especially if this Republican speaker fight drags on. That's going to be the place where Washington will fight each other. It's going to be on those Sunday shows and you get the full recap. If you are a $3 member at TakePoliticsSeriously.com for the price of a cup of coffee each week. Imagine if you just bought me a cup of coffee. get two bonus episodes. Pretty good. Carrie Lake has officially announced that she is joining the race for Arizona Senate. She did it with a Trump endorsement, but with a new coat of paint. No longer is there MAGA Firebrand Carry Lake, no longer is there. This election was stolen, and I am not ashamed to say it. Carry Lake, no, it was moderate. Carry Lake, take a look at the gas pump, Arizonans. Carry Lake, you deserve better than record high inflation. Carry Lake, there was a little bit of the bombast. Of pointing out of the fake news fools in the back of the room but by and large she understands it can't be a, a LOL at John McCain's corpse uh, we need to make sure that the machines in Maricopa County are tricked, uh, checked and triple checked uh, Katie Hobbs stole the election she's trying to run less crazy does it matter? it's pretty well defined statewide So we're going to have to wait and see. Steve Garvey, former Dodgers pitcher and MLB MVP, has launched his campaign for the California Senate. Garvey played not only for the L.A. Dodgers, but also the San Diego Padres. It signaled that he would lean toward the political center, which you have to if you're running for Senate in California, and will be by far the most high profile Senate candidate in California, quote, I never played for Democrats or Republicans or independents. I played for all of you. It's going to be a common sense campaign. Garvey said that he voted for Trump in the past, but has not settled on a pick for 24. He did not answer directly when asked if he considered himself part of the Trump wing of the GOP. I'm running a Steve Garvey campaign, he said. We need to bring people together again. So, a thing to remember with the California Senate is that there is no Republican and Democratic primary. It is what is known as the jungle primary, meaning everybody runs for the primary and then the top two vote getters match up. That's the way that you can get two Democrats running against each other in the general election in California. Garvey's going to hope that a very crowded Democratic field, which includes Adam Schiff, Katie Porter, Barbara Lee and possibly new Senator Lafonza Butler will splinter everything and he is able to at least, with a united Republican front, get into that top two. And finally, at least six Senate Democrats up for re-election next year have joined Republicans in calling for Biden to refreeze $6 in Iranian assets made available as part of a U.S. prisoner exchange last month. Biden has been praised for his quote-unquote unequivocal support for Israel in the wake of the Hamas attacks, but many believe that he can go further and critiques on the fact that the United States unfroze such a large amount of money for Iran— a nation that unequivocally supports groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, has certainly drawn ire. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Tom Cotton announced Wednesday that they would introduce legislation to reimpose the freeze via unanimous consent, essentially daring Democrats to object to it. But so far, Joe Manchin, John Tester, Jackie Rosen, Bob Casey, Tammy Baldwin and Sherrod Brown, all of whom are on the ballot in 24, have called for Biden to freeze the assets as well. You gotta watch stuff like this because it shows you how much faith these candidates have in races that are going to be very tough. Sherrod Brown is a formidable candidate. He is well-liked in his state. The problem is, is that in the six years since his last election, Ohio has gone from purple to hard red. And now he is going to have to win a race in a state that is not favorable to him in a presidential election year. When the state that turned Ohio, when the candidate that turned Ohio red is on the ballot, that's going to be tough. And so there's a reason why they are going through all this. A reminder, TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go if you want to get two bonus episodes each and every week. One on Monday morning, your opener to the week in politics, and then the late edition on Thursday. Head on over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 level get you two bonus episodes. Our guest today is a writer for Tablet. We're going to discuss Hamas and how it has been viewed in the world stage leading up to the horrific attacks over last weekend. Let's welcome back to the program, Armin Rosen. Welcome back to the show, Armin.
1: Great to be back on. Uh,
0: One of the things that we're in this decompression period, at least for the beginning of what has happened as we move into the war that is ongoing and the surface level Questions are, well, how did the vaunted Israeli intelligence apparatus in Mossad or or everything that happens in, in IDF, how did they not know? How did the American intelligence apparatus not know that something like this was coming? But another element that you highlighted on X, then Twitter, uh, was just the fundamental characterization of Hamas, of, of who Hamas was, and the fact that almost Everybody got it wrong. Uh, so can can you just uh, explain the, the point that you made?
2: Um,
1: so basically for the last 15 or 20 or even 30 years, the entire security establishment, the entire sort of foreign policy intellectual establishment, not just in the United States, but in Israel itself, saw Hamas. Not as a normal actor, certainly not as any kind of a, a group of people who wish them well, um, but as pragmatists. Yeah, uh, they believed that Hamas at the end of the day was more interested in playing internal Palestinian politics, more interesting and in, more interested in protecting the militant and political infrastructure it had built um, and more interested in kind of not alienating its potential bases of support. Than it was in carrying spectacular attacks off against Israelis and against Jews. Um, part of this uh, came from wishful thinking. Part of this came from the hard realities that uh, certainly in Israel's case they had to deal with Hamas in some way or another. Yeah, um, not deal with them militarily, but deal with them in the sense of actually speaking with people on the other end of the line in Gaza uh, to coordinate, uh, you know, the basic kind of functioning of the Gaza Strip and the Israeli. Gaza border, Um, part of it came from just the typical, I would say, Western delusions about people not really meaning what they say, Mm -hmm. (laughs) something that I've been guilty of and that I think everybody's guilty of in their own thinking about politics and about the world. There's a sense that oh you know they're well they're really saying they want to kill all the Jews for some other reason,
0: yeah this, this, persons, this, is, this yeah. is an all politics are local thing that that they're trying to right. rally people by way of anti-Semitism and by saying that that there there needs to be death to the Israeli state and all, all the Jews in it, right. but that's that's you know so they can keep control it It's not going to be something that leads right. to something going forward,
1: but then the very confusing thing is that that's how they actually behaved. Yeah, in certain contexts over long periods of time, um, and it's it's a little bit unfair to say, well, if you all had known that this unimaginable thing was happening, this previously unimaginable catastrophe was happening, don't you all look ridiculous for you know this what seemed like this very canny analysis of how your enemy was behaving? Yeah, um, but it did happen. It did happen. What happened over the weekend actually did happen. It disproved. Decades and decades of thinking about what this group was capable of and what they really wanted. Um it disproved the idea that there was some sort of limit to their, you know, pragmatic limit to their brutality. I mean, the best example of this is Khalid Mashal, uh, who is sort of the uh, exiled strategic mastermind of Hamas who lives in uh in Doha. Um, I mean, I was reading quotes of his uh, from the 2014 round of the war you know, where he talked about, you know, we didn't really want escalation. Yes. Escalation isn't really in our interest. I don't know why the Israelis are doing this. Um, yesterday, he got on TV uh, in Doha, where he lives, um, and gave this absolutely insane, uh, blood-curdling speech, you know, calling on all the Muslims to come to the borders of the of, you know, the Zionist occupier, you know, saying that our blood will redeem, pa- you know, all of that. Yeah. Uh, and and Mashal was always viewed as kind of like the great pragmatic intellectual of Hamas. Uh, you know, he was sort of the the quiet thinker, you, you know, the person who uh, if, if there was ever going to be any sort of uh, reform within Hamas, it would come from him. That was the whole logic of not pressuring the Qataris to expel him. Yeah. so that he could sort of be under the weapon. Of thumb. It turns out this guy was absolutely just as extreme and just as murderous as like. Abu Bakr al Baghdadi was when he
0: was the head
1: of ISIS. Yeah, well, and I think that that is remarkable.
0: That was the thing that that you were that you were pointing out that I thought was was very interesting. And at this point, it's hard to think any any otherwise. Is is that yeah. the idea that Hamas was at a point that you know there was like the rumors that Trump was going to invite. The Taliban to Camp David with with the idea being right. like, like, all right, hey, look, it's going to be ugly and obviously with the specter of 9-11. But you want to know what? There needs to be some kind of coordination and giving them uh, a grace uh, uh, with with this. You can trust them to at least follow through on a deal that is made. Right. Like that was more. Where the thought was with Hamas and not ISIS, not just out and out, you know, <laughs> a, a, a a terror cell there to bring death and destruction. There's, there's,
1: right. There's a big difference, though, with with the Taliban, which is the Taliban is nine thousand miles away from the United States. Yeah. Uh, Hamas was always like a ten minute drive from like the middle of Ashkelon. Well, you know? yeah, I, and, and and that's what that's kind of what resulted in in this dynamic over long periods of time um if israel wanted to basically open up uh you know the borders to shipments of food and basic supplies or aid from countries like qatar who were sending cash in with israeli facilitation there had to be somebody on the other end of the line to sort of make that happen yeah and the israelis would allow those shipments to occur knowing that some of them were getting siphoned by hamas that was like kind of the open understanding the same went for Israel providing electricity to the Strip. They understood uh, that by providing power to Gaza, they were taking certain stresses off of civilian infrastructure that then allowed Hamas to, you know, use electricity and use whatever their stocks of generators and, you know, oil was to like fuel rockets and like continue their war machine. The other, I mean, the other like very kind of remarkable example of this is that up until last week, There were 17,000, imagine this is over now, there were 17,000 Israeli work permit holders inside the Gaza Strip, a number that had gradually gone up over time. I think it was as low as like under 5,000 at one point. The Israelis made it under right wing governments. The Israelis made a real effort uh, to be able, uh, you know, to, to let more and more residents of the Gaza Strip come into Israel to work. That's something that would be absolutely impossible to coordinate without some kind of dis- uh, discussion with Hamas. The number was supposed to go up to twenty thousand uh, sometime in the near future, which just goes to show how little Hamas's actions have to do with the well-being of any Palestinian. Um, and, and that and that kind of encapsulates the choice that Israel faces. It's like, well, if you let in the fifteen thousand, you know, the seventeen thousand permit holders, there's a chance that some of them are terrorists, which yeah. some of them did turn out to be. Um. But there are instances of people on these kibbutzim like recognizing the people shooting at them, um, but if you don't let in the seventeen thousand permit holders, then maybe though you know you're just creating a generation of frustrated young men who sit around and join Hamas. So it's yeah. like a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. Uh, yeah.
2: And yeah,
0: and 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 obviously at at this point, people are trying to look for any sort of sense of this uh, of. Can you give us as somebody who has spent a lot of time, uh, you know, focused on these issues, just put into context from for, for our our listeners, how big of a surprise this was? Like how how unthinkable on Friday, if you were to tell somebody that this was hap- this was going to happen on Saturday, how uh, how that would be reacted to.
1: They would have looked at you like you were completely insane. I mean, this, this is like where the nine 11 comparison kind of comes in handy and is actually pretty dead on. Yeah. Like until it happened, it cannot have been imagined. Yeah. It was so beyond the realm of anybody's thinking about anything that could reasonably occur here in reality. It was just kind of like off the map of like seemingly the world that we lived in. The fact that it happens, happened proves that the world that we lived in was a lie. It's at that kind of scale.
0: Yeah. Um and, and, what, and what are what what are the elements Yeah what yeah what are what are the elements that if you were to rank, you know, the the, the right. fact that nobody knew it, that there was no drum beat for it. Like like where 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 do where do those elements rank? All
1: right. Sure. So I guess you start with like the sheer brutality of Hamas, the fact that they cut the heads off of children and raped women and paraded their bodies through the streets. Uh, just the introduction of certain technologies of terror, let's call them, that have simply never been used, not just in this arena, but that ISIS didn't even kill babies, I don't think. They had some kind of policy against that, someone was telling me the other day. That's number one. Number two, uh, the capabilities. Uh, There was a report yesterday that the bodies of 1,500 Hamas fighters had been found inside of Israel. It's a staggering number. Uh, Early on in the conflict, Ah, uh, there was a drone that took out one of the next-generation Merkava tanks that Israel had premiered. Uh, actually, just like two weeks ago. Um, right. The uh, the fact that they came in on these uh, sort of improvised uh, glider devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I mean, just all of it. It's a. It was a you know highly coordinated and sophisticated attack on like the scale of like what a nation state could potentially do. So and, and, and then. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. And then you get down to the element of surprise, Uh, the fact that not only did they not see this coming, but that there were operational failures in the moment that were absolutely staggering Mm -hmm. uh, and unprecedented, and quasi criminal. Um, The the fact that they had that uh, Hamas militants had so much control over the border, the fact that air support wasn't scrambled. Uh, from these bases that are like a three minute Apache helicopter flight from Gaza itself. Um, the fact that these border communities were completely unprotected, um, which I understand, like nobody wants to live in a, a military base on their own territory. Yeah. Like I was in Kafar I was in Kafar Aza about a year ago. Uh, the place where about 300 people were killed and 40 uh, infants were murdered. Um, and it feels like a normal town. Yeah. It was about a half a mile away from the, the border wall. And it, you know, if nobody had told you uh, that the border was a half a mile behind you, you would absolutely never know. Um, like. It, like it not only disproved. Decades of Israeli uh, and for that matter, Western strategic thinking, it, it also exposed a number of absolutely glaring gaps in, you know, Israeli intelligence and defense capabilities. And a big part of this coming conflict, uh, it's it's not just that Israel has to destroy Hamas as comprehensively as possible in order to reestablish some kind of basic deterrence uh, and protect the existence of the country in the long run. Um, They have to do it in such a way as to reestablish that their military and their intelligence apparatus is competent kind of at all yeah there have to be some really there have to be some really impressive wins in here at kind of a high level of difficulty uh just to show that what happened uh you know on saturday is a a historic and ghastly exception as opposed to the beginning of some new kind of rule yeah the
2: the
0: and and granted i have i have only cursory uh, followed uh, right. uh, the, the the back and forth and the violence in that region as somebody that, you know, is interested in uh, American politics. I was in Israel once many, many years ago. Uh, uh, obviously, there is a kind of constant back and forth depending on the actors of, uh, yeah. you know, some kind of military operation. But I had always understood th- when the violence happens from either, you know, Hezbollah or Hamas, you have the rockets, and then every once in a while, yeah. especially in the in the earlier part of of the century, suicide bombings and 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 that kind of stuff. But it was it was literally at times explosions, and then that would be it. And then you know the, there would be yeah. a reaction by the uh, uh, Israeli military. The idea of ground forces, ground forces in the way that that we saw them, I. Uh, I can only imagine somebody who has more of an eyes on on this to to just be like I, I didn't even know that they, that that happened that that they that they do that and uh, you know it it just puts into context a lot of the conversations that we're having now of okay well the funding from Iran you know that that this is going to things that now you know you've always heard that but it had always been in this context at least in my mind of like okay well this is funding for. You know, uh, uh, organizational expenses, and then you know, for for martyrs, you know, to go kill themselves for the cause. But when you look at what happened on Saturday, you're like, oh no, this is funding an organization for what was a military precision terror campaign over 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 the course of of twelve to twenty four hours.
1: That's that's right against the softest targets they against the softest targets they can find no pretense of attacking any sort of a military objective whatsoever. Yeah. It was ra- right. ravers, ravers and infants.
0: Like this is, this yeah. is, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, I, 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 and then, you know, I think a lot of the conversations that I were, was having over the weekend was also just trying to find, and this gets into the, how could this happen? Part of it is the, yeah. the strategy, like, like where is, okay, that's day one. What do you, what what is the 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 Hamas objective on, you know, day
1: five, day twenty, you know? Well, the the, the Hamas objective is to survive, basically. Yeah. The idea is that anything short of uh, of total unambiguous victory on the Israeli side demonstrates that Hamas can right deliver this horrible, unprecedented blow—a blow that, by the way, no other uh, military force had ever dealt Israel before. Yeah, could do it and could, could wind up still standing at the end. Um, there's a there's a, a picture that I think sums up this entire uh, kind of conflict in a way from 2014 of Ismail Haniya. Uh, I think it was Ismail Haniya who was the prime minister Gaza, uh, the Hamas's prime minister in the Gaza Strip, standing in front of his ruined house. Uh, you know, uh, flashing a victory sign with a Palestinian flag. Yeah. The idea is that as long as we as long as we can show how evil the other side is uh, and remain to fight another day, that that is, you know, that is a kind of victory. Uh, So I I think that's their objective. And I I think Hamas gambled uh, that Israel either doesn't have the international support, doesn't have the will or doesn't have uh, the military capability to actually destroy them. Um. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. I think that they don't really have much of a choice at this point, uh, that this actually is an is, Israel territory. doesn't
0: that, that that this Yeah, it's, yeah. In a,
1: it, it's, a, it's in this kind of us or them territory. Like, th- 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 and I think this is something that uh, people don't really appreciate from afar. Israel is a very small country. There are millions of people who live within a one hour drive of the Gaza Strip.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, if you sort of set a precedent where the killing of like 1200 of your citizens in their own homes doesn't result in the destruction of whoever did that.
2: Yeah.
1: uh, Like what are, what are you really saying? You're saying that this is a problem that people are just going to have to live with. You're saying that they're going to have to, you know, people are going to have to run for bomb shelters and run for their lives once every few years. How do you, how do you maintain a viable society under those circumstances? So this was, uh, you know, this was kind of a massive dare from on Hamas's part, uh, to actually attempt to solve this problem once and for all. If the Israelis can't do it, it's a kind of defeat and actually a very significant one. Uh, the, the, again, the question remained, the big question of course, is, you know, what does an extermination campaign against Hamas look like yes. in the Gaza Strip? Um, does it, is it complicated by events along the northern border? Uh, there's some thinking that in 2014, Israel actually came quite close to being in a position where it could go house to house, arrest absolutely everyone, and dismantle the entire Hamas hierarchy all at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yoab Gallant, who is the current... Uh, Israeli defense minister uh, was kind of one of the top commanders in that theater in 2014 and believed that that is what the Israelis should have done. Uh, But since then, uh, Hamas has had seven years to booby trap the entire Gaza Strip. Uh, You know, the Israelis have to think very, very carefully about whether they want like 300 to 1,000 soldiers dead. But they also have to think very, very carefully about the risks of not solving this problem. It turns out that not solving this problem in 2014 was maybe the biggest strategic wonder the country's
2: ever
0: made. Well, and that, 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 that point is, I think, well made that that makes sense to me. If Hamas is like, this is one of the ugliest things that has ever happened is an existential threat to Israel. The likes of which uh, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how old you are, but certainly in my lifetime that, that has yeah. ever, that is, that has ever happened. We have in my lifetime, I have not seen, I have only read about the existential you know, fights of 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 Israel's existence. There has been chaos, but they have been strengthened throughout my entire life. This is the first time yeah. that I can see from from that perspective. It's like if Hamas can dig a hole deep enough to survive and still be in existence on the other side of whatever's coming, that is a sign right. that this is possible. That you can that you can chip right. away at the at that at the Jewish state.
1: Right. That it can be repeated. Yeah, Uh, that people have no choice but to live under a kind of permanent state of terror, that there actually is no kind of normal national life to be had. That's kind of what you're conceding if you don't if you don't solve this. And Hamas knows that. Yeah, They, they know it. That's the reason that they probably gambled on this larger than attack in the first place. They wanted to put the choice before their enemy once and for all. You know, are we sort of, you know, do we have uh, the belief in ourselves, uh, and in our, you know, project. Yeah. Uh, to actually, you know, defend it against the darkest forces possible. And the answer might turn out to be no. Yeah. This might, you know, this might end with something well short of completely destroying Hamas. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's stated objective is, uh, to disarm Hamas. Interestingly, uh, Obama's tweet went a little bit further and talked about dismantling Hamas, which yeah. I thought was kind of amusing. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's, a,
0: that's an odd one.
1: And then, you know, the Israelis are not as stupid as uh, this last weekend would make them appear. They have been like gaming out a two-front war, uh, you know, where either Hamas or Hezbollah enters the fighting a few days or a week after one or the other group baits Israel into a large ground, incur- in a ground invasion. Yeah. You know, what does that start to look like? Um, You know, there's a reason that Israel had the largest uh, military mobilization in its history in the past few days. Yeah. You know, they're not planning for something small and limited. Uh, They're planning for a scenario where things get semi out of hand. Um, As to whether they will, uh, I think. Personally, that what happened over the weekend is so unprecedented, uh, that past events are probably not much of a guide. No. Uh, anybody who says they know what it's gonna look like a week from today, uh, is speculating or wish casting. Um who knows?
0: Yeah, uh we've we've never seen an Israel that is this you know, has as the military capabilities that they have, uh, the the reason to fight that they have, and and the yeah. enemies that they have, and you know, now we have this shifting question of you know the the Democratic Party of uh, uh, the United States of America has drifted further away from Israel since Clinton, certainly through Obama, and and uh, despite the fact yeah. that Biden obviously has ties to israel ties to netanyahu and his gold of my story which he was able to break out again yesterday uh he yep. uh, uh now it seems there is a a uh, a tightening there on the democratic side that had not existed at least a week before so who knows let, let me ask you about this uh, in terms of israeli politics is one of the things that's been said yeah. is that Part of the why now question for Hamas is the fact that is Israel has gone through a very politically turbulent time over the last several years. They have changed governments. Netanyahu has been in, been out, had to make coalitions with uh, more uh, uh, far right parties. They had the big judicial thing that even uh, Biden weighed in on uh, uh, to to condemn is in your mind. is, Is that just trying to tie things together because things are so chaotic or does that make sense?
1: I think that the why now question could be answered by events in the subsequent weeks. And that's actually a very pessimistic outlook from Israel's perspective. The why now question might be because this is part of a very specific war plan involving very specific military capabilities that Hezbollah
2: Mm. and Iran's
1: various proxies across the Middle East have. So that's one. And they might have chosen this moment because Israel seemed particularly internally divided and weak maybe i don't know um but this was not sort of a, an opportunistic attack you don't lo- this was an attack at a strategic scale yeah right this was an attack based on uh you know a concerted decision among numerous parties working together to change the face of the region um the the, the idea that there's anything internal to israel that would have uh put off that decision, I think is kind of unlikely, which is why i think I think it is sort of true that uh Hamas and Iran are trying to play the spoiler for an israeli Saudi peace. but you know at the end of the day, uh these groups have said for decades that they just want to really kill a lot of Israeli jews um, yeah. and I think that that's kind of what motivates <laughs> kind of what motivates them at the end of the day, and the Saudis represent an obstacle to that, but there are many other obstacles to that um You know, we we're we're gonna we're gonna find out. There's a the the, you know the Occam's razor, you know, kind of single big dumb explanation for this uh, is that Iran and Hamas want to destroy the state of Israel and they think that this is like the way to do it. This is the way to do it. Yeah, and they're and like you know everything else has been tried, (laughs) right? Yeah uh you know conventional war has been tried uh you know internationally isolating Israel has been tried uh suicide bombing's been tried it's all been tried right yeah. you know why not try you know why not build up terrorist proxies for twenty years and try to sweep through the country and kill as many people as you can? right that hadn't been tried (laughs) well and that's
0: the the other thing that i think and i'm glad you brought up initially this sense that i I don't know if it is caused by politics or it is the reason why politics has become so mainstream but the normalization of well yeah they're saying it but they don't really believe it and and that is obviously politically very expedient it's part of the things that we cover here on this show all the time that all politics are local. You obviously sometimes you have to say things that, that, that you don't really mean. But it has become so mainstream that it's broken, I think, some of this discourse where you have an organization that has said, we want to eliminate the state of Israel. We want to push the Jews into well, the sea. This is this is what we do. They came out. And they uploaded their work to the internet. They they have not right. been yeah. shy about, they, they're very proud of, of, of what they've done. <laughs> Even Osama bin Laden blamed 9-11 on the Jews initially. Like, this is the right. first yeah. time, this is the first time <laughs> that we've seen, like, yeah. th- th- no, it's on the tin. Exactly what they right. said is exactly what they did. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where people have had a hard time working through it because- Obviously, from afar, the question of you know, uh, 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 you know, the lives of of the Palestinian people and the Israeli state has been, you know, its own politicized version here in America. But but I think it's 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 broken some of this discourse that it was exactly what they have said that they want to do, and it wasn't just yeah you know rabble rousing. I,
1: I I mean my own kind of pop psychological take on that is that like actually in America, people don't really believe things that deeply anymore. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, attendance attendance at any kind of house of worship is plunged. People don't really read, you know, politics is kind of this like horrible team sport, which is why it's so corrosive and why it's just hijacked people's brains. It's a kind of like awful, like dopamine thing. Yeah. It sort of, uh, blocks off any kind of deep thought while also blocking off any uh, source of deep belief. But like the whole rest of the world isn't like that. Yeah. You know, some, some people really actually do hold very intense ideas that they're like willing to throw their entire lives away for. And this applies, you know, and, and one thing that actually kind of makes me a little bit optimistic um, is that the Israelis have like very deep leaps of their own, too. Yeah, um, they are not right. I mean, certainly their establishment failed them horribly. They failed themselves, but you know, this is the big miscalculation that the Arabs have made about the Israelis for generations. They're not going to just like leave and like go live in Berlin or New York yeah. or whatever. Um, they, they believe in defending their homes and in protecting uh, you know, their state and their country and they believe in their own survival about as powerfully as it's possible to believe in anything. Um, and, uh, the, the notion that there will be some massive kind of internal collapse of morale or in sense of purpose, which I think the other side has been banking on, uh, literally since like the 1920s. Yeah. Uh, hasn't happened yet. I don't think it's going to happen now. um, There, there is a, there is a sense of national purpose there, uh, that cuts across politics, uh, cuts across ideology, Um, in, in in, at times it cuts across religion even. uh, The fact that some of the most dedicated soldiers of Israel are Druze, yeah, um, you know, that's a very hard thing to break. It's a very lucrative thing to try to break because once you've broken it, you can't really get it back. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, in, in the United States, I think it's proven very difficult in the past few years to recover any kind of a, a shared sense of civic purpose or whatever. But uh, I understand the gamble to try to destroy it. But, but the one thing that the people who have tried to destroy Israel for generations have gotten wrong is the belief that that doesn't exist there. It, it that event
0: eventually there will be a breaking point and there will be an element of self-preservation and that will and that will will uh, evaporate the will to fight. But I think as we've seen right. for, for decades and decades, that has that has not been the case. And uh, I, I think we are. We're going to see it's going to be, you know, uh, uh, something, something to keep an eye on, obviously, because the, the yeah. capability that the IDF has is Immense and 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 the one thing that this fight has very 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 consciously from all from you know a three sixty perspective been fought in the media. There is a there is a great yep. concept of uh, both in the Arab world and in the Western world demonstrating the inhumanity of the other side, and that that's a huge part yeah. of this. I think you know there's there's a reason why at that kibbutz with forty dead infants there were four different camera crews there because they right. want to demonstrate this is what happened. We want this to be. Although you will there. notice,
1: you will notice that the Israelis made what I think uh, was the risky, but profoundly humane decision not to actually show any of the bodies. And in fact, yeah. I think there's one instance of, I think this is a reporter from the BBC or some, some European agency uh, who said that the Israelis offered to let him see one of the decapitated infant bodies and and he declined which i think was also a very decent decent decision it's like no i take your word for it this has been horrible enough i think there are uh, in fact journalists who have seen the bodies Uh, there's an israeli organization called zaka Mm -hmm. Uh, under under jewish law um, you have to bury bodies as complete as possible Uh, that includes like blood yeah anything that was bled on Right, so there's an organization called Zaka which largely consists of very religious Jews who go and clean up the sites of car accidents and attacks and things like that. Um and there are people from Zaka who confirmed it. Yeah. They have no reason to lie. Uh, you know, they're not a political group. Because, yeah, you know, they don't and, enjoy doing that. And that's, stuff. you know, I've you know, I've, you
0: know, I've 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 talked about this with the, with the Ukraine Russia thing that in general, yeah. the the fog of war and reporting is very very real. Uh, because yeah. what, if you are there in the middle of a conflict, you are either talking to people that have been through trauma or you're getting information from one or both of the sides that are fighting, which have no incentive to tell you the truth. They are, they're going to be there yeah. to, to uh, fight uh, fight an information war. The only thing I would say is different about this one is that you have extraordinarily media literate and media savvy elements of this because they have fought this publicly for so long. And, and, and oftentimes that has been the, the, the key front of, of everything. So, Oh, boy. And and also,
1: Israel is a place that's crawling with journalists like this is the easiest international conflict in the world to report on. Right. Like you don't really need a a government press office card unless you want to go into Gaza. Uh, So long as you have an American passport, you can go anywhere in the West Bank that you want. Like a lot of people speak English. There are zillion fixers. Uh, It's a very open country. You can like even right this very moment. I have, uh, you know, friends in the press in Israel who have gotten very close to the Gaza border fence in rental cars. Went to Hertz
0: and, and just drove uh, the manager special down to the border wall.
1: Right. So basically, and like, you know, in Ukraine, Ukrainians have made the very kind of canny decision to keep all but a few very trusted media figures away from the actual front line.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: part of it is they don't want people knowing where the front lines are. Ah, uh, they want to be able to say that they're you know potentially doing better than whatever. It, it makes absolute yeah. sense for them in Israel. That's like almost impossible. It's so small. Freaky. It's not like this is a. It's a first world country, right? Like the roads are very, very good. Uh, the communication networks are excellent. Um, where the ambiguity is going to come in uh, is going to be when uh, Israel actually enters the strip itself. Yeah, um, and then you're in kind of a dense urban zone uh, where the questions aren't going to be like, well, do they actually cut the heads off of these children's bodies? The question is going to be, well, who controls which block? Yes. Uh, you know, it was there in fact, like a command and control bunker under this hospital.
0: And that's, and that's the um, other thing. And <laughs> then, that, that's the fight that, you know, Hamas and the Palestinian Authority have done for decades, you know, is, is, you know, yeah. exploit the idea of, there are civilians in front of these military operations. That is a stated uh, strategy from them. It is not a surprise and it is part of the brutality that's coming. The one question, and I will let you go on this is that uh, in the past, if there's a bus bombing that kills 20, it's a horrifying thing, especially here in America. And we're obviously doing this from an American perspective, uh, but there's mass murders in America also, you know, it, it, it's it's a long way away. It is a spike in dopamine, and then what usually goes on longer is the incursion either through bombing or through uh, boots on the ground into the area yeah. that, that uh, uh, sent it out. I don't think we've ever seen the brutality like this that I think is going to extend what is the normal patience that the rest of the world has for a military action I, I i think that for anybody that says well look at this horrifying thing that's happening in gaza and there will be horrifying things that happen in gaza uh the yeah. question of okay yeah but 40 decapitated babies like that's that's going to extend the lifeline of what is normally a fairly short porch for international uh patients for israeli incursion at least in my opinion
2: yeah
1: all right uh, I, I think it, yeah. I I, th- I think it will, um, but so much of what this is going to look like depends on factors that are like very difficult to predict right now. If it really seems like Israel is making progress towards destroying Hamas, is the United States really going to want to stop that? Even if uh, the results at least look ghastly in yeah. the media, I don't know. D- does the U.S. consider that to be? enough of a strategic gain for Israel and for themselves to just kind of let it happen. Does this become a kind of multi-front war uh, where Iranian proxies in Iraq begin attacking American soldiers? Yeah. Right. Does this actually lead to a situation where the U S has to like reoccupy parts of Iraq? I mean, I think there's like a 3% chance of that. Um, Look, there's a 3% chance we're at the threshold of world war two. And this ends with like, uh, you know, the Chinese flag being raised over Taipei and just a period of, Global instability that hasn't been seen in a hundred, you know, eighty years or something. There's also a three percent chance uh, that this whole, you know, that Israel clears the decks. It, it solves not just their own problem, but the biggest problem in the Arab world uh, and in the entire Middle East in recent years, which is Iran's imperial ambitions. Yeah, uh, that they are dealt, uh, you know, a permanent blow before Iran can develop a nuclear deterrent. Uh, and that there is some sort of very likely Saudi-managed kind of post-conflict situation that is the close to peace, the closest to peace that we're ever going to get. I would also say there's about a three percent chance of that, but we don't, we don't know.
0: Well, uh, obviously, we will be paying a lot of attention to it. Armin Rosen uh, of uh, Tablet, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show is edited by Brett Stewart. If you would like to thank Armin for coming on the show, you can do so. Letter P, letter X, number three, guest dot com. You can send an email to the program, the young American at gmail.com. On Twitter, it is PX3 tweets and Justin R Young. Twitch, find me live on Twitch. Letter P, letter X, number three, live.com. And you can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy. PX3podcast.com. If you'd like to send me a one time donation, just slash pay jury. Venmo is Justin Young 20. Cash App is PX3Cash. And you can send me anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is Post Office Box. 153184 Austin, Texas, 78715. You can always get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets you that. Plus your name right at the end of the show, like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier. Ye old pinball shop. John, DP4Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy Mack, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Checkers. Sarah Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, his nerdiness Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley Stephen, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Delightful Demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D. Laser, Nick Wood, just another pilot, middle aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen D, really chopper Andrew and Adam L. If you would like your name read on this show, only one place to do it take politics seriously.com. Hachi Machi, a um, lot of news over the last two weeks. I don't dare suggest I know what's coming next week. Whatever it is though, friends, we will face it together because I'm Justin Robert Young. Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only program that dares discuss all three.